What's good, everyone? I'm Langston Clark, founder and organizer of Entrepreneurial Appetite, a series of events dedicated to building community, promoting intellectualism, and supporting Black businesses. In this special Black History Month episode of Entrepreneurial Appetite, we feature a conversation with Dr. Javier Wallace, the race and sport postdoctoral associate at Duke University and founder of Black Austin Tours. So Javier, before we get into what you're doing with, um, was it Austin Black Tours, Black Austin Tours? Black Austin Tours. Black Austin Tours. Talk about uh, what, you, what you're doing at Duke University. Yeah, uh, so what I'm doing with Dr. Claudius B. Claiborne is bringing him to campus, not just for the university, but I feel like to pay the debt that's owed because of what he did what he, while he was at, U, excuse me, at Duke and all of the benefits the university now profits from black men, particularly that play a sport is to, yeah. is, is to turn this story about integration of basketball in the ACC, but at Duke specifically away from us thinking that it was this institution, Duke or white institutions needing to change, which we know was a part of it. And then flipping that on his head and saying, well, no, there were people, black people on the other side who were making decisions on how to tear down barriers, including integrating programs. Yeah. And because I came from a black college, the black college piece of the story was not lost on me when I started speaking with Dr. Claiborne yeah. and realizing that he was connected to the, what I would now think of like the three powerhouse black colleges in relation to basketball in the state of North Carolina. His middle school coach who introduces him to basketball is a coach, Ed Sherrill, who plays for Clarence Big House Games at Winston-Salem State yeah. University. He wants to play for, expects to, he's expected to play for Coach Cal Irvin at A&T when he was coming out. And, but the person, and another person who officially, well, who helps him decide on integrating Duke or breaking down the racial barrier at Duke is a coach named Benny Dix. And Benny mm. Dix played for John McClendon at North Carolina College for Negro, which is now North Carolina Central University. Yeah, and yeah. his high school coach, Coach Howard Allen, or Hank Allen, played at Hampton University with Coach Charles Williams. And Charles H. Williams is a contemporary of E.B. Henderson. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're literally, they're like, they know each other, they work with each other. And so with this, what would what I like with, about this story with C.B. Claiborne is how his story is so complete and it involves so many different parts and we haven't heard that part. I mean, we barely heard about him as somebody who breaks down that racial barrier at Duke's athletic program, but even less have we heard about everything that went into this decision that has fundamentally changed the nation and the sporting scene tremendously. I mean, so it brings so much into that. And so at Duke, that's what I'm doing, a part of Black and Blue. I have other things that I do, but want the project that I was drawn into the most when I came here was learning about him and learning about tobacco and basketball and like really diving deep into those two things and seeing how they collided. Because, you know, I grew up in Texas, but when you when you come to North Carolina, everybody want to talk to you about tobacco and basketball yeah. and tobacco road and Duke University. And so these two things, they were just haunting me or they kept appearing every time I was walking in the street. And I found out about this gentleman and I realized that the university has not had not given him his flowers as I felt he deserved. And yeah. um, the last thing I'll say about him is when he was at Duke University, not to minimize with other black players who were first to integrate ACC schools, that men's basketball program specifically, not to minimize that their presence was their activism because I was not a student at that time. So I don't know what that would have been like for them. Yeah. 
in addition to his presence being and being activism or being a very visual demonstration of breaking down one of those barriers, C.B. Claiborne takes an additional step. He is protesting. He grows out his hair in defiance of the coach. He is being benched for it. He takes part in the Allen building takeover when young black people are taking over administration buildings in the United States on college. And he does that. He misses a game for that. And so he takes that one step forward further. And I think he pays the ultimate price as an athlete for his actions, being benched and not playing and and, and also being largely pushed out of the historical record because that wasn't accepted at that time. So he you know, got erased. Right side of history. Talk about how you got to Duke, what you doing at Duke. What's what's this fellowship you got going on over there? Yeah, I came to Duke straight out of Austin, where I'm from. I, I was at the University of Texas at Austin, finishing up my PhD there, also doing Black Austin tours and having to make a decision as a newly minted PhD about what comes next with my career. I was applying for certain jobs on the traditional track of job of becoming a tenure track professor. Yeah. But at the same time, I had I wasn't completely sold on that route mm-hmm. because I started to experience some success with Black Austin Tours and I yeah. actually liked what I was doing with Black Austin Tours and, and being able to flip a lot of that stuff that I was learning and thinking about in the classroom spaces as a researcher and translating that in the public space for people who would be coming out. And so I just, I, I once I got denied, I think I got denied to like three jobs, like maybe one postdoc and three and two tenure track roles. I was at the point, I'm like, I'm not doing these applications no more. Like, yeah. I, I ain't got it in me. And so I'm just going to focus on what I can focus on and what I do well and what people reach out to me. And that was Black Austin Tours. But I have a strong passion for sport, a strong passion for thinking about issues that happen in sport, basketball, trafficking, sport migration. And so I didn't ever want to just stop doing that. And here comes this call at Duke University for the race and sport postdoc position. And initially I wasn't going to apply until I read what they were asking for. They were asking for just a cover letter that was had to be one page. I was like, oh, I can do that. Like, I was like, I can do that. Like, I can do that. But I told myself, I said, if I apply for this position, being that I've been denied for the last three things that I applied for, trying to place myself or sound like I feel like I should have sound, I said, this is one page and I've already written this stuff off. I said, if I apply for this, I'm going to be me. Yeah. I'm not going to, I, I literally, I did not, I, if I, if you could tear up the computer, I would have tore it up, but I deleted all of my cover letters that I had did for mm-hmm. all those positions that I was denied for. And I opened up a brand new page and I started, I, I my started off my cover letter is I am racing sports. And I went from there. I was like, if I'm going to apply, y'all going to get full me right yeah. now. Because yeah. I've already been denied through time. And so yeah. you can't, you really ain't going to hurt my feelings no more. <laughs> and I was already making money too. So I'm like, you really not going to hurt my feelings. You just yeah. going to confirm that I need to keep doing this other thing. And so I interviewed with Duke and I heard more about what they were doing. And then they asked me about myself and I told them about Black Austin Tours and they looked that up and they were like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is like public scholarship. And they invited me to come. And I'm glad that I did because it has given me a chance now that I'm 
I'm here in this space to think about sport and to not have a not and not to abandon some of the things that I was getting good at. And I was loving and awesome with Black Austin Tours and really just telling stories through sport and using all these critical lens that we can have as researchers, but translating all those high level concepts to everyday people so that they can engage with it. And so I came here, I wrote my book. Um, I'm writing my book. It's under contract with Duke University um, Black about basketball trafficking. And so I had a chance to do that. But then now, like I explained about Dr. C.B. Claudius Claiborne, the first black student athlete, I didn't come here to do that. But when I heard his story from his mouth and heard all of the things that was going through his mind as a teenager when he came and all the people who influenced the decision that he made as a teenager and this love that I have for disrupting spaces and, and talking in public, I was like, oh, I, I didn't even want to tell it. Like something in me was like, you got to you gotta just start talking about this guy, like yeah. tell the story. And so Duke has given me that opportunity to really lean into who I am and yeah. not have to lean into this idea of being like this PhD researcher that I had yeah. been trying to be. And I was like, well, let me just be me. Yeah. Let, let's talk about the entrepreneurship thing because I think like Javier, you've always um, like when you get called, you answer. I, I would put it that way, right? And so I, I remember. I'm not, we're not gonna get into the whole long story about your journey to the PhD program, but I, I just want the audience to know that's a different conversation. I want the audience to know that that what I know of Dr. Wallace is that when 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 the calling comes, like he walks the path. And so talk about how you know, you've been able to break the mentality of the typical scholar where, you know, I think we get so inundated with the publisher parish um, tenure track carrot that doesn't always, you know, taste as good as it looks. How, how have you been able to to be in business and think think entrepreneurially, even like back in your doctoral program to now? So let's talk about the origins of Black Austin Tours. Yeah, so Black Austin Tours, it I say it always, it comes as in a, cont- a continuation of Afro Latinx travel, which I co-founded when I was living in Panama in about 2015. But when I get to Austin as a graduate student, being a broke graduate student and leaving a full-time job and a, a pretty solid side hustle or business with Afro Latino travel was, You know, I took a big hit financially to be a grad student at UT, but I had already had this experience doing tours in Panama and I was not going to be a broke grad student. And Mm -hmm. I realized that I could keep going to Panama and doing tours like I was at the beginning. I was doing that at the first two years. I was like every break that I had in my schedule I was going to go to Panama. I was doing my research as I was learning. And then I was also hosting tours with people and they were paying. I mean, they were basically they my tours were paying for my research because Mm. I didn't have a budget. But I had somebody who was going to bring 30 people to Panama and they were going to pay for my trip. I was going to be there anyway. And I was going to be with these people who I had an interest in thinking about anyway. And so like that, they literally are funding me to do research. And I was realizing that a lot of my 
cohort members and other people, they were like scrambling to find funding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I recognize it now, like what it means to get institutional funding from certain different, from like prestigious places, like because those names help you. But I realized that I could figure a way, I could I could fund my own research mm-hmm. um, by my business and my business was gonna fund me so I could have these multiple things I could be doing while being in Panama where most of my research was coming out of. And so I had recognized that early. And then, Hey everyone, thank you again for your support of Entrepreneurial Appetite. Beginning this season, we are inviting our listeners to support the show through our Patreon website. The founding 55 patrons will get live access to our monthly discussions for only $5 a month. Your support will help us hire an intern or freelancer to help with the production of the show. Of course, you can also support us by giving us five stars, leaving a positive comment, or sharing the show with a few friends. Thank you for your continued support. I also recognize in Austin, being a broke grad student, that there was an opportunity zone too, because I had done this in Panama. Mm. And I realized that there was nobody doing consistent black tours in Austin at that time. Nobody was doing consistent. Like there was like, okay, Black History Month, like we go, but nobody was doing consistent yeah. tours over that time. And so I also had a story that I wanted to tell because I felt like I had, there were so many things that I had learned over the course of my life. And then that was only being enhanced when I was in my PhD in the education field, taking classes like black education in America with Keflin Brown. And I'm like, all these things are just coming into my mind because I'm learning about these super, super high level theoretical and historical things that have happened throughout the US. And I have been able to parallel them with my grandparents' experiences and things I heard my entire life. And I was in Austin at the same time. And so, you know, being broke and needing money and Airbnb had experiences out, I didn't even need a platform. I just had to go put it on them. I went and started walking and talking. I made it available on Airbnb every day. Wow. Every day when I was out of class, you could catch me in East Austin walking a tour. And I was going to do a tour for one person, two, however many people showed up, I was going to do the tour. And so that allowed me, and it was at that time, it was only $30 a person. Airbnb was taking 20% of that. But I was, I realized, I was like, okay, I can get people out here and I can just get my little $22 after they take their 20, their 20%, however many people I'm going to keep doing it. And then I still wasn't, where I am now is a bit different, but then I still was on broke grad student. I'm hearing game from people about how you need to go to these conferences. You need to do this and that, but it's no money. You got like, yeah. where the money come from? So I literally take all the money that I make. I didn't spend any money off of those tours that I'm making through Airbnb. And the only time I spend that money is when I, when I know there's a conference I need to be at there's some people who I can connect to. And yeah. instead of like asking for money, I still ask because I'm like, if it comes, it comes. Yeah. I just say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna invest in myself. I pay for myself to go to Philadelphia. I pay for myself to go to Harvard. I pay for myself to go to these different conferences. And so I just realized that I could like literally hustle my way to the places I need to go by just literally walking in the street because I had experience doing it. And it's morphed over time now, but initially that's how it begins. Like, cause I'm learning more over time, but initially it would walk, talk, make money, fund the things that I need to fund mm. so they can keep bringing me different things. And I, I want to be clear for those of you who aren't familiar with Austin, Texas, living in Austin is like living in California. It's not cheap, yo. So when y'all hear on the news, students, was it UCLA or USC, whatever California school it is, they're going on strike because they don't have funds. Austin is legit the same way in terms of the money. 
you know, what Javier is breaking down is real innovation, real entrepreneurship and leveraging what you already know to secure the bag. So you mentioned Afro Latino travels. What was it again? Afro Latino travel. Now we go by Afro Latinx travel to be more gender inclusive, but we started. Okay. Okay. So Afro Latinx travel, formerly Afro Latino travels. I didn't know that that was the origin story to Black Austin tour. So tell us that story, right? How did you, how did you start Afro Latino travels? Because I remember the backpack and Black Pacas or whatever it was and, and all of that stuff. So so tell us the real origin story. Yeah, back, back, Black Packers is in there too. When I was, I moved to Panama after I finished my master's and the University of Texas denied me the first time when we first met to do my PhD. I just took off the move to Panama. I was supposed to be there for about six months and it turned into six years mm. and the best six years of my life because that's where I became the person that I'm starting to become now. I was just introduced to so many people and many of these people that I was introduced to were Black people from around the world who were on some similar like, looking beyond their borders and going to different places, those who had the privilege to be able to do so. And, and, you know, you just meet a a variety of people. But at the same time, as I'm meeting these people, learning new things, I'm in Panama where my father's from. And so I'm learning so much about the place that I come from and have heritage from my father's side. And, you know, many of this I never knew before. I knew we were from Panama. I knew we were black. I knew we were from the Caribbean side in Colombia, but I didn't know more than that. And so as I immerse myself in this place, I'm just learning so many things. And it's like, why don't we know these things? Even as Panamanians, why don't we know these things? And because I had connected with so many Black people that are particularly Black North Americans, mostly from the United States, who were traveling throughout the region or living throughout the region as remote workers or just people who were there doing whatever. I'll never forget my homegirl. She's from Washington, D.C. She was living in Panama. We met down there, been to Musa Shaha out and she had a birthday party and she had a lot of her friends from D.C. come down to Panama for her birthday party and she was like hey Javier I want you to give us a tour because you know the history of every blade of grass in this country mm-hmm. and I was like bet let's do it because I was going to do it anyway and so we were just doing like, talking and all this and then I'll never forget homegirl Shirley her homegirl Shirley say you know you can charge people for this right I ain't never thought about that before yeah. And Shirley was like, you can charge people. What? Okay. I said, well, we got something here. And then my homegirl, who's a black Panamanian like me, except both of her parents are Panamanian. She was, she grew up in the States. Like I grew up, she moved to Panama to Dash Harris, my child. She just had finished producing this documentary about black Latin Americans called Negro. And she also had this idea about doing tourism in Latin America. And so we just had two interests that aligned with each other. And we were, I, I, we were connected to these black folks who were traveling and through this group called No Madness Travel. I just, they were, a woman was coming to Panama. She brings me a lot of customers every year, still to this day. Kena Williams. I just hit her up. I, I knew she was coming. I was like, would you be interested in doing a tour? And she had like 30, like it was like 40 people over MLK. Yeah. I, I worked at a school and so we had school buses and I knew the people who had the buses and I was like, hey, <laughs> and I get one of them buses, I'm going to pay you. I just want to know if I get one of these buses. And I she let me get the bus and we picked up the people. We just had a good time. And then a the lady on the tour, I know I'll never forget her name, Jasmine. Jasmine yeah. Owen. She was like, let me tell you. She said, you ain't charge us enough for this. You need to charge wow. me. 
And I was like, bet, well, let's keep on doing it. And so like from there, it just kept on happening. And then I also met my homeboy, Terry, who was from Texas, who is from Texas. And then we were also just comparing our stories, being black men on the road and backpacking and having to learn about backpacking. And then realizing that as black people and black men specifically from our experiences, we were budget traveling way different from what we thought mostly white people were perceived to be budget traveling backpacking and then that's when we come up with black packers because you know like we're at hostels when we're meeting people who are saying like i would never stay at a hostel right i come up in the time in the early 2000s when hostel was like a horror movie you know you talking you know we was up in the dorm room yo wait 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 wait. i gotta stop you there yo real talk i gotta tell you this yo my wife did the same thing you did she had like a spiritual journey but she was traveling around the world, right? She hit a whole bunch of countries, continents or whatever. So like, we we want to go to travel to Costa Rica for like the honeymoon. She's like, we can stay in a hostel. I'm like, hell no. We ain't stay in a hostel. I ain't see the movie. I just know it was a horror movie, a whole bunch of white folk getting chopped up. Chopped and up. Chopped up. And you know, when no black people in there, if it was, they got killed first. So I'm like, when I hear, when I hear hostel to me is associated with death. That's what it was for me too. I mean, and and until we experienced it, until we did it, and, and we started to break down those stereotypes and perceptions and misperceptions. Okay, then we started doing that thing, uh, and that and that's all about. All this is all the same time. It's just speaking to two different audiences because Black Packers, we were on some more like lifestyle type. Yeah. Um, lifestyle type brand as we were building it out. And Afro Latino travel was 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 making money because it was this constant flow of, you know, mm-hmm. Panama, I ended up being Panama ended up being it was the destination, right? For people who were traveling. And so they would always hit hit me up as somebody who they knew was living there. Like, what what can we do? And then it would be like, well, I have this. And it's black centric. And a lot of black people want to talk about black people and see black people. And they were like, well, let's do it. And then just so like that it grow. Yeah. Before we sign off, I just want to say to you, Aggie Pride, I see you represent my school, even though you went to FAMU. I had to say it. Look, you you probably wearing Nike too. Anyways, and I know you're in North Carolina. So that's that's a good sign that you were you wearing that that blue and gold. Before we sign off, talk to us about the book. Don't spoil the book, but just just give us a quick overview of of, of this book that you write. Um, I'm glad to be within a, a, a safe distance of North Carolina AT right now. It's a great institution to be in a safe distance away from, especially coming from the highest of seven hills. But I'm so glad to be here on this podcast nonetheless. I think all HBC grads are doing amazing things things, even though there might be some that are better than others. Okay. But uh, I digress. The book, so the book is, I mean, tentatively titled Sueños del Norte, Black Panamanian Hoop Dreams and the Realities of Basketball Trafficking. And so in this book, it is an ethnography or an ethnographic account of how a young Black Panamanian teenager and myself, how we are navigating sport migration to the United States Mm. as a Black Panamanian and going through some very extreme exploitation that in abuse that happened to him and me narrating that through his experiences and learning about how this happens at a systemic level and bringing in policy. So I'll talk about a lot of policies that allow this thing to happen. And I don't just focus on bad actors because a lot of people will focus on bad actors, but instead I'll look at him. I 
look at in the book, we talk about immigration policies, talk about the NCAA's eligibility policies and how they police, surveil young people depending on the countries that they come from and how the English language can serve as an, a, bar- a barrier to be overcome, which can also put young people into very precarious and dangerous situations. And so just really coming at this, the, the youth basketball scene as it's connected to the NCAA and to the professional leagues and troubling this notion that what we're seeing in this, these more international youth and people coming into the U.S. to play basketball is just something that we should celebrate and not. And, and I'm asking us to look at the people who don't make it, who don't become yeah. how things and just what does that whole trajectory look like in the book and so I follow him I follow us over the course of four years working through this between Panama the United States and Mexico to bring this full circle I want to make a connection so Javier Wallace is in graduate school doctoral program at the University of Texas at Austin shout out to the Pete program and he he is funding his research by putting on Black Austin tours. And so I, I think that's that's the way I want to end this. I, I want people to realize that you spent four years doing this research, didn't necessarily have all the funding support that you needed to do what you needed to do, but you found a way to get it done. And uh, Brother Wallace, that's commendable. I didn't even know that. So I appreciate you coming on the show today. I look forward to having you back when the book is published and talk a little bit more about that. So thank you. No, I appreciate you having me. This is a great podcast and I'm glad glad I could share. And I hope a lot of people out there will find some value in it and think beyond what it is that we are told we're supposed to do with opportunities. And I think PhDs can have can make money outside of the academy. Thank you for joining this edition of Entrepreneurial Appetite. If you like the episode, you can support the show by becoming one of our founding 55 patrons, which gives you access to our live discussions and bonus materials. Or you can subscribe to the show, give us five stars and leave a comment. 